All right, our first reading comes from Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And our second reading comes from Luke 15, 11 through 24. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all, all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, is, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, kiddos. Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you. I learned my lesson. I'm not even messing with the face mic, so I'll just be stationary right here all, all morning long. Um, a few weeks into my senior year of college, I dropped out, and on kind of on a whim, I bought a plane ticket for Argentina, and I spent a few months in Argentina uh, the plan was to learn Spanish. I enrolled in a language, uh, language school down there, and then I spent about a month after some language school just kind of backpacking around the southern part of Argentina and Chile, uh, finding myself, as it were, as my generation is so bent on doing. Uh, and I was on, um, I, got to, I got to backpack in just some of the most beautiful places, I think, uh, on the earth, just incredible, staggering mountain lakes and incredibly remote uh, coastlines in, in Chile with like flocks of parakeets flying overhead and uh, unbelievably just like beautiful and barren and uh, it, it was just a, a beautiful thing. And I was also a college dropout so I traveled really cheaply which I kind of got it down to a system. I could get by on one meal a day and uh, when I traveled between cities I, I'd always get the night bus because I was travel and lodging in one thing. I didn't have to buy get a place to stay and I'd let my hair grow real long and I had a big shaggy beard. And kind of embarrassing to say in hindsight. I thought it was so cool at the time. But uh, I was also just incredibly alone, uh, just by virtue of wandering around. Anytime you're transitory, it's, it's hard to maintain relationships. And, uh, you know, I'd be in a hostel, and I'd hang out with a few people that were there, you know, the same time I was. And, and that was fun to meet people from all over the world. Uh, but, you know, eventually we'd part ways and then kind of like start over. Sometimes there'd be no, no one around. And, you know, shaggy backpacking Josh was the, the weird 
foreigner guy that parents kind of like shepherded their parents away, their, their kids away from, you know, like, oh, come to the other side of the street, children. That man doesn't look safe, uh, which is kind of sad. Uh, I get it, it's my fault with the shaggy hair, but when it was finally time to come home, I took a 30-hour bus ride from the coast of Chile to the coast of Argentina, where the airport was in Buenos Aires, and I was going to couch surf for a night and then head to the airport and uh, fly home. But those last 48 hours were nuts because I got robbed on the bus. All my money and credit cards and everything uh, was just totally, totally gone uh, by this punk kid that I shared cookies with uh, on the bus. And I had to figure out how to get to the airport that was really far away from the city. And there were like these exit fees you had to pay. And I got shuffled around to like three different government agencies to try to get this wire that my mom sent me. And, and then to top it off, I'm running around, I got pooped on by a pigeon. I was standing there on the side of the road, feeling it seep into my last clean set of clothes that I was planning on flying home in. And then I got to the airport, and my flight had left two hours early, arbitrarily, for some reason. And so, anyways, crazy. Finally make it home, still smelling faintly of chicken poop, or pigeon poop. And it was two days before Christmas. And I walked into the house, and the tree is up. And my parents had gotten this new super comfy carpet while I was gone, and my mom was baking delicious food. Bing Crosby was singing Christmas carols. My eight-year-old little sister was so excited and ran and jumped and gave me a hug, and I was home. Today we're going to talk about repentance, which is a scary, churchy word. And I tell that story about Argentina because the cry of my heart this morning is that when we hear the word repentance, we think of an experience of coming home like I did, still smelling, smelling faintly of chicken poop where people run, run towards you and embrace you, where there's good food and a comfy space for you to be you. The, th- the theme of our series through the Sermon on the Mount is human flourishing. We're looking at all of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount through that lens. There's Jesus, God in the flesh, inviting us to flourish as humans. And for a few weeks, or maybe uh, even a couple months, just the, the connection between human flourishing and repentance has just been super heavy on my heart because it has so much relig- religious baggage. And I think it's one that we, f- we can be a little scared of. And my prayer is that we could let Scripture define what repentance looks like because I don't think we can flourish without it. I think what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount and in all of Scripture is that there's just no way to achieve human flourishing without this coming home type of repentance. To set, a, set up our discussion, one of the things I, I love about studying the Bible is not only can you look at words and sentences and paragraphs, but then with whatever you're studying in Scripture, you can look at the chapter or the multiple chapters and place it in the context. And so to see the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to spend plenty of time in in the future, we've got to go back uh, just a few verses before the Sermon on the Mount begins. Uh, and it's where Jesus begins his ministry. It's Matthew four seventeen. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the core of Jesus' message. This is Matthew in his biography of Jesus saying, let me just give you a one-sentence snippet, a one-sentence summary of what Jesus preached, what he was about when he was on the earth. And it's, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn, come home. Why? Because the kingdom is here. The kingdom of heaven means life with God is now available to us. Life with God under the rule of God is now available to us. And so the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, and you can make the argument all of Jesus' ministry is expounding on this one sentence. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus expounding to his disciples what it means to repent, what repentance looks like, how you live it out. And so if we don't have a biblical understanding of repentance, then a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, I think, could be lost to us. And this is the, the, the crazy thing to me, or depending on your church background, is that if we don't understand repentance as good news, then, then we're missing it. We don't understand the, the call to repentance as part of the gospel, which means good news, then, then we'll miss pretty much everything that Jesus is saying and, and what it means to be a Christian. What are, what are your understandings of repentance? Is it something you did when you were nine and praying a prayer? the sinner's prayer and then haven't looked back is it the the word that people yell at you angry preachers on street corners scream at you into megaphones or do you picture some kind of like that albino guy in the da vinci code like whipping himself kind of like really hard on yourself religious creepy stuff but we see it here at the core of jesus's message and we know that God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So why would this be Jesus' message? Well, the best analogy, the best picture, comes from Jesus, of course. And that's the, the Luke 15 passage, the prodigal son. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, and we're just going to walk through uh, the, the good news according to, to Jesus and the prodigal son. Verse 11 through 13. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. And he divided, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son had all, all he had and took, gathered all he had and took a journey into far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. If you've been in church and you've heard this story a while, it can just be, you know, kind of a bummer. But the, the staggering, devastating reality of what is happening here is the younger son said to his dad, I wish you were dead. I'd rather have your stuff than have you. I'd rather have your stuff than experience life with you under your rule as man of the house, as, as my father. And incredibly, the father gives half of his property to his son. This isn't just like taking a deposit out of the bank. This would have been land and selling, uh, letting servants go and liquidating assets and to give this son what he asks. And the son goes into another country and establishes himself as a respectable businessman and community member doing good. No, that's not what he does. He squanders it. It's like he goes to Vegas and just burns through half of his father's life, life's work. And probably in this, in this uh, time, it would have been several generations of life, life work that he would have just blown on prostitutes and feasts. 
He takes his father's stuff, tries to get it to satisfy him. Look in verse 14 through 16. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that county, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So after it didn't work, after using his father's stuff to get satisfaction, he's now worse off than pigs. Now pigs are pretty cool animals because they make bacon, but in Jewish culture they were not so cool because they were about as low as you can get. They weren't kosher. And so this is literally the lowest possible status for a Jewish person that Jesus is, is sharing in this story. So there he is with nothing. And, and what does he desire? He wants to eat the pig slop. He wants to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. And he wasn't even able to get that. In the narrative of the gospel, this is what we would call the fall, where we take God's stuff, we try to make it work on our own, and then we end up in the mud with pigs, hungry. And then Jesus shows us the the heart of repentance. Look in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Jesus says that the the younger brother came to himself. There's so much in that one phrase. It's like the scales fell off his eyes, and he saw himself sitting there amongst the pigs, jealous of the pigs, saying, what am I doing here? This is the first part of repentance, coming to yourself, seeing yourself clearly, seeing your desires clearly. So many of us live live miles away from from who we are, so detached from from what we've done, what we're feeling, and what we're really chasing after. We see in repentance, we come to ourselves. We we are self-aware. We know what's going on, at least in part, in our hearts. And then Jesus shows us the language of repentance in verses 18 and 19. The younger brother says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He says, I have sinned against God and you. I don't deserve to be your son. I have no rights. I have no leg to stand on. I have no defense. Nothing to offer, no explanation for my sin that will make it less devastating, less catastrophic. Please just let me be a servant. Let me work for you. Even to be your servant would be you showing me grace. Even to be your slave would be you giving me a gift. the language of repentance. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, is flourishing or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, for theirs is life with God under the rule of God. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. I have sinned against people, against the God who made me, 
I'm not worthy to receive any good thing. I can't earn it. Just let me work to get some sustenance because I'm bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer you, no leg to stand on. My spiritual bank account is hopelessly empty, and I'm a beggar. You feel the weight of this? This is what Jesus says is required, not just suggested, required. Spiritual poverty, this repentance, is, is how we get the kingdom of God, to experience life with God, to be saved. And then look what he does next, verse 20, part A, just the beginning part. And he arose and came to his father. He left the pigs, he left the slop, and he returned to his father. A big part of repentance is this turning from what we were going for and turning to the Father. But in God's glorious grace, we don't have to go far. Look at the second part of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The stinky, smelly pig feeder is embraced. His father ran to him, put his lips on his dirty face. When was the last time you saw your dad run towards you? Yeah, it's not really what elderly fathers do. But Jesus is showing us the heart of God towards us in our sin. Psalm fifty-one seventeen says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. No, oh God runs to us when we repent. He feels compassion. He embraces us. He kisses us. I know we're all super serious adults, but let's just try to imagine and put ourselves in the place of the younger brother. The deep guilt and shame now that you've come to yourself and you realize what you've said to your father, that I wish you were dead. I'd rather have your stuff than you. Imagine the desperation of having no options. Of seeing pigs have it better off than you. Imagine returning to your father, fully deserving of being rejected, of returning to the slops. But in your des- desperation, your stink, your dirtiness, your father wraps his arm around you. He kisses you with tears in his eyes. You, you start to, to, to mumble your prepared speech. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. I've, I've messed up. Just let, just let me work for you. The father doesn't even respond to that. Instead, he, he dresses you in, in new, clean, comfortable clothes over your rags. He gives you extravagant jewelry that marks you as his son. And then he tells everyone, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Because my son was dead and now he's alive. This is, the, the cry of my heart is that we'd understand repentance as this sweet embrace. When we hear the call to repent, I pray that we'd hear the call to leave our pig slops and come home to a father who's waiting to embrace us, kiss us on the face, and throw us a huge party. Repentance is a call to come home, to come to ourselves, 
see, see us for who we really are. Leave the slops that don't satisfy and come to our Father. This sweet embrace is sweet because of the, the avalanche, the, the tidal wave of grace that it is. We don't even deserve to be a servant, but we're going to ask because we have no other option. But God in his glorious grace will hear nothing of being a servant or a slave. No, he adopts us as sons and daughters. We can call him Father. We receive the new, new clothes. We go into a room full of good food. People who are excited to see us. Repentance is returning home to our Father's arms. Leave the pig slops and come home. Which means repentance is not just feeling worthless about yourself or being falsely humble and always pointing out your faults. or And it's not paying penance for the bad things you've done. It's not beating yourself up all the time, just focusing on the bad. You know, it's turning from the slop to the good life with our Father. And then repentance is good news because if we come to the Father with any slight hint of a swagger, I've learned some things in the far country that might be able to help the family operation. So I'm going to come back and just let me work for you because i got some skills to offer you, Dad. It doesn't count. It doesn't work. And so there's two parts to repentance. There's the part that is our entrance into the kingdom when we uh, repent and believe in the gospel, believe in the good news, and we're saved, we're justified, we become children of God. But it tends to happen in, in, a, in a time, in a season of life. But we are by no means done with repentance. Repentance, we see, is, is an ongoing thing. Martin Luther is the guy who started the Protestant uh, Reformation. Kind of a big deal. He's probably the reason why we're in this room today. He nailed these 95 theses, these 95 statements to, on a door of a Catholic church in Germany about 500 years ago. They were parts, things that he'd seen in Scripture that seemed to be different with the teaching of the church at the time. And the first one is our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is one of the key truths that launched the, the, the entire Reformation. And that might sound horrible. Who would want to be a Christian and just repent all the time? unless we understand it as coming home. The entire life of a Christian is, is one of coming home from a far country, coming out of our isolation in our desperation to the pig slops that we long for, receiving the embrace of the Father. It's important to keep the two parts of repentance in place because there is the repentance that by which we uh, enter into a relationship with God, that we're justified and we're now his children. And then there's the repentance where every day we're letting the Father put new clothes on us. Every day we're receiving his embrace as his sons and daughters. We say it a lot around here. The, the root of every sin is a failure to believe the gospel. 
when we lose our temper, when we look at pornography, when whatever it is. Those are fruit that get down to the root of, of, of not believing the gospel. And so what we need to do is repent of that. Repent of that unbelief and come home to the gospel. Because what, what are the reasons, just think through it with me, what are the reasons that we lose our temper? Could be a lot, but let's say it's people make you look bad. Maybe your kids make you look bad. You feel bad because you lose your temper at your kids. But the point is not to beat ourselves up. I just need to try harder. I need to count to ten. Think about happy thoughts. The point is to leave the slop of people's expectations and come home to the approval you have as a, as a forgiven son or daughter. Underneath the anger is not really believing the acceptance you have in the gospel. When we can start to live into our identity as God's children, then we, it's still probably not going to be fun to have your kids wiling out, but we can give them space to, to be the little sinners that they are and meet Jesus. Men, when you feel anger at your wife or your kids or your coworkers because you, you might feel like a failure or you feel like you're not good enough, work isn't going well, so you, there's like some comp- compensation, blaming family, blaming those close. You be extra hard on your family. The point is not to try to try harder to be nice to your family. The point is to come home, to leave the slop of earning your worth through work, and come home as an undeserved sinner that is, is bequeathed with all the rights of a son. God who sent his son to die so that you can experience life with him. So with this understanding of repentance, I hope you can see how it's an entirety of the Christian life is this one of coming home, of turning from the slop, turning to our Father. It's a a daily thing, hourly thing. When we see sin pop up in our life, whether it's anger or lust or greed or anxiety, whatever it is, those are fruit sins that point us down to the root sin of unbelief. And the beautiful, redemptive power of the gospel is that when we see sin, we don't feel condemnation. Instead, we hear an invitation from our God to come home, to repent. What do you think Jesus, who hung on the cross for you, what would he say to your anger, to your lust, to your anxiety? It wouldn't be condemnation. It's an invitation to come to me. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the way and the truth and the life. Come and be satisfied. Leave the slops. This is why we've been talking about the heartburger the past few months, where we see uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is this really cool three-part pattern, where it starts with a law, and then he gets to a heart issue, and then he gives us a command to follow in order to address the heart issue. He gives us six of these, and just by way of reiteration, the murder one, he says, you've heard it said don't murder, but I say if you get angry or if you're indifferent with someone, then you've committed murder in your heart. There's a heart issue at work, and that heart issue is not coming home to the reality of grace, that you're a sinner 
just like the people you're angry at, that you're not perfect, and you definitely contributed to the problem. And then he gives us the, the command to go to your brother and be reconciled. Go and repent to them. Go and share your weakness to them. Because doing that re in real life is how we begin to experience grace in our hearts. These, these physical actions in our relationships in real life, they, they begin to, to shape our hearts and give us hearts that can repent. Jesus says in John chapter 6, This is the will of my Father, that you believe in the one he sent. What is God's will for your life? Is that we believe in Jesus. We live into the reality that Jesus came to give us, that we can experience life with God. When I think of the work of a Christian, the good works of the Christian, I feel like we've got to start here with turning from unbelief, and showing up to the Father in our rags with nothing to offer and letting him change us. And what feels heavy on my heart when I think, think about this idea of repentance is that I, I, I worry that people in church might just get the first part of repentance, the, some of the right language, like I'm bad, I don't deserve to be a child of God, I, ju I just need to serve him. I need to do things for him to try to be better. And while that is a true statement, we see the younger son make that. The gospel, of, gospel repentance is receiving the embrace of our Father. Because I wonder if, if so many of us, we, we, live out our, we live out this parable like coming home to our Father and then ducking out of the way and saying, just let me be your servant. Ducking out from under his arms and just, just let me do stuff or let me try to be more faithful this time. But that's not the gospel. Doing stuff for God is not experiencing life with God. For, for many of us, and this is true of my story, that's the, that's the same slop just in Christian terms. I'm going to be awesome and impress everyone. Oh, wait, I'm just going to be awesome and impress God. As he's, as he's dressing out the same slop in, in Christian terms. Before I was trying to be great for me, now I'm going to try to be great for God. But coming home is receiving each day the new mercies that God has for us. Just like when God's people, the Israelites, were in the, in the wilderness with no food, he sent them every day manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And he instructed them to only collect enough for that day. And if, and if they tried to get greedy and, and store up, it would go rotten. The gospel is our manna. Every day we repent. Every day we turn to our Father. We come home. We receive the embrace. We receive the daily bread of grace. In terms of ap application, I really only have questions for you to sit with. This week, what are your slops? What is your far country? Is it control? Is that what you long for? Instead of being a dependent child, you desire to be in control? Is it longing for escape in a porn addiction or work? 
Is it this low-grade anger that is just always lurking in your reality, keeping you up at night? Whatever it is, practically, then a life of repentance means coming home, turning from that. The part that we do is we simply repent of it by turning to God, confessing it to Him, and then just waiting. And just letting Him transform us by the power of the Spirit. That's the freeing part of this. All the younger son did was come to himself and return to the father. The father ran to him, hugged him, dressed him, put a ring on it, threw a party. We think of uh, daily quiet time, classic Christian culture uh, institution. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Daily quiet time, which does sound like a punishment, is something that is beautiful. We need daily get quiet with God, read some scripture, meditate on it, maybe journal, pray. Like, this is the point of that. The point is, is not to make it through the Bible, though that's great. The, the, the point is not to get more facts about God. The point is, is it's a, that, that can be a rhythm of repentance. Coming to the word with the prayer, Father, let this word shape my heart. Let me come home to you as I see you in, in your word. For some of us, we, we haven't really come home to ourselves, maybe. We're still longing after pig slops. Maybe they're Christianized pig slops. And if you're here today and you're, you're wondering what they are, or you don't think you have them, but you want to be open to the possibility, the number one thing I think you could do is just to create some stillness in your life. I read an article, it was a non-Christian kind of critiquing the church a little bit, which is like shooting fish in a barrel, but it was a good article. And the, the, the big take-home, this is from a non-Christian looking at the church. He said, when the church realizes the number one threat to Christianity isn't hedonism, but distraction, and can make its community a place of uh, stillness and peace, things will be incredibly different. So what if Instead of reaching for your phone the first thing in the morning, is you make your bed and then you just sit on it quietly for five minutes. Just like create some space. Ask God to search you and know you, to give you your daily bread. Jesus' invitation is to flourish here. And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount and continue into Matthew, this, this call to repentance comes up a lot just by the virtue of it being a core part of his message. And I just would hate it if every time that came up we, we felt... Uh, condemnation or weight or something scary. Instead, uh, I pray that it will be a, a, a call to come home, to experience the good life with God, to flourish as his sons, dressed in, dressed in Jesus' righteousness. Let me pray. Father, I come before you and I just praise you for the glorious gospel that calls us home calls us out of our desperation and isolation and Father I'm just overwhelmed that something that is so hard and painful of coming to ourselves of seeing seeing us in our desperation and our brokenness and is also the way to true life 
is true that the <coughs> way is narrow if you find it. I praise you, Father, for the grace that we can receive, the embrace that you give us. Father, may we, in the power of the gospel, be a, a church family that embraces repentance with joy because it means experiencing more of you and more of your embrace. I pray that we would come to ourselves, that we would welcome conviction of the Holy Spirit because it's opportunity to, to leave slops and experience the feast of life with you. Father, I pray for anyone here who uh, hasn't come home to you uh, for, for the first time, that they would hear your call into the good life with you and be dressed in uh, the, the peace and glorious righteousness of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.